title of the message uh, Being in God's Will, and we're right in the in, in part of our series in the book of James. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 4. Uh, James chapter 4, uh, the end of this chapter, is, is similar to what James has been doing throughout this book. He, he starts with one theme, and then he jumps over to another theme, and, and, and then he diverts to another principle as it relates to the Christian life. And it, it's really so illustrative of how Proverbs does it as well, where all of a sudden God just shoots all kinds of truths for us to wrestle with as we go through life. But this one particularly is kind of uh, all-inclusive as you think about uh, God drawing us into his plan, and that is being in God's will. And so I want to read the section, and then I want to introduce it in a certain way, and then grapple with the text. In James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, we have these words. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, and spend a year there, and engage in a business, and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while, and then vanishes away. Indeed, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. This morning we're going to talk about God's will. And God's will has its simplicity and it has its complexity. It is simple in that it is simply doing what God wants you to do. It's complex in that there are so many parts of our lives that we wrestle with in terms of making certain choices and, and right decisions. And we're, we're almost wanting on a constant basis to hear an audible voice from God saying, do this or do that. But we need to understand that God's will could be delivered to us that way where we get, we got a direct pipeline into, uh, or a line into heaven, and he just answers every uh, call to him in an audible way, so we have direct light in terms of going down some dark path. But, but really what God wants, he, he wants us to, to understand his will is often like a, the will you have uh, found in a nuclear family. We're in God's spiritual family, but a nuclear family where you have parents and you have children, you, you recognize that, that there is a goal of the parent for the child. And I don't, know if, I don't know if I've told you this uh, already, but I have some grandchildren. It used to be I have a grandchild, now it's grandchildren. And it's interesting as you look at that, and every analogy breaks down to a certain degree, but th- this analogy I think is a pretty good one. If we, if we really want to understand how we live out God's will for us, um, my, my newest grandchild, which I'd already forgotten, which is gr- grandparents are not supposed to do that, but uh, Addison is three weeks old. I couldn't remember how old she is. And as you think about well, what, is, what is the will, what is in relationship to her parents and Addison, what, how does she discover her, the will of her life? Well, at this point in her life, at three weeks old, she has no part in it. She has no part in determining what the will of life is for her because her parents control the will that's going to be imposed on little Addison. Um, they decide... Uh, prompting by her crying, you know, when she's going to eat, but also what she's going to eat. They decide where she's going to go. Is she going to stay at home? Is she going to be transported to another place to visit grandparents or whatever it might be? Is Addison's will is imposed on her 
providentially by her parents, Mark and, and Lori. I have another grandchild, and that grandchild is Hannah. And Hannah, many of you have met, and Hannah uh, just turned three. And I was with her in the park the other day, and, and uh, when I take her to the park, she's in the swing, and she's like any, any lady. She's nonstop talking. I'm pushing her, and she's talking. I'm pushing her, and she's talking about things I understand and things I don't understand. She is nonstop. Well, in this engaging conversation that I'm doing all the listening and she's doing all the talking, uh, she proceeded to tell me what I did know that, did you know, Papa, I'm three years old. Yes, I know you're three years old. And you know what I'm going to be when next birthday? Yes, I think I do know what you're going to be next birthday. I'm going to be four years old. And you know what happens when I'm four years old? I said, no, what happens when you're four years old? I'm then a grown-up. Now, implied in that statement was, okay, when I get four, I get to call the shots. Okay, I get to decide what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do. I'm now going to have my will imposed on life. Okay? Well, in in many ways, you look at Mark and Lori. At at point in in Addison's life, they realize that it's their will that needs to be imposed on Addison in every part of her life because she cannot make decisions that would be in her best interest. uh, benefit. And, and as you think about that, I know Mark and Lori, their desire, however, is not for Addison throughout her entire life, Lord willing, that she lives a long life, that, they all, that Addison always comes to them to decide what things she ought to do. She, she, they want her to come to the point where th- th- she is a mature person that can make decisions on her what? On her own. And as you think about God's will for us, there are certain things that God imposes on us, his will. Providentially, he will decide what things we're going to do and not, and not going to do. He will decide what will be the direction of our life, how our life started and how it will end, and some of the things in between. And, and those are things that are unrevealed to us about what God will impose on us. That's his unrevealed will. But there are certain things in our life where God permissively allows us to make choices and decisions. And that's the part that we're all concerned about. We understand that God's in charge. He'll always play his part. But how am I supposed to play my part in doing what God wants me to do, be according to his plan and his will? And that's what we're going to try to see today. Well, what are the principles of life? What are the overarching principles of life in which we can discover what God wants us to do in relationship to his will? Not his imposed will, his providential will, the will that he controls in detail. But the things, at least from our part, we are in part of the process in terms of making choices and decisions to follow down his path or somebody else's path, which is probably our own. Well, that's what we're going to see this morning. What are some overarching principles for being in God's will? Well, let's look at the first one as we just go through the text. In James 4.13, he says, Come now, you who say, and, and really in the original language, it's really kind of, he's kind of shaking at the person. Now, now listen to me now. Pay attention. This is really important. You've got to get this right, or you're going to be in no clueville in terms of what God has for your life. And it says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Now, you might be thinking, well, what has this got to do about God's will other than that we don't know part of God's will? We don't, we don't know the future. We don't understand what may, might happen tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. We don't even know if there's going to be how many tomorrows there are going to be. And, and even though we know that, sometimes we live like we don't know that, right? 
We make all these plans, whether it be grandiose plans or even just simple plans, and we think, well, now that I've got it on my to-do list, now that I have it on my calendar, it's going to happen. And God is saying, I want you to understand your part of responding to my will is to realize some things you don't know what's going to happen. That's the unrevealed part of it. Now, the revealed part of it, how do you respond to the things you don't know are going to happen? And this is the point I want to get across. Simply be wise. Be wise. And be wise is is this. Do not presume you know the unrevealed details of God's will. Just realize that. Just realize that you don't know certain things. Now, as simple as that is, we often come back and we think that we can control things. Anybody out there kind of recovering control freaks? Anybody out there like to be in control? Anybody that likes to have things happen exactly as you plan? I mean, that's, that's where I am. That's where I live. That's, that's who I am. I, I want to be in control. Now, there's, all, there's nothing wrong with being a planner, a person who likes things in control, but realize there's only certain things you can be in control of. You, you, you cannot control everything. And just understanding that will, will help you to, to make wiser decisions. You know, the, the Word of God speaks of that plainly in so many different ways. In Luke chapter 12, verses 19 through 21, you have that familiar story of the, the rich man who, who thought that he was so smart and was making so many things for pro- productivity and for profit. They said, I'm just going to build bigger barns. And he went through all these elaborate means to, to build bigger barns, and then he didn't realize the next day he was going to be gone. He was going to die. And he was going to leave everything. And, and so don't hold on too tightly to the things that you want to control. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, it says this, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? The will of your Lord, in terms of being wise, is spend your, your energy in doing the revealed will of God, not the unrevealed will of God. We get so preoccupied about trying to decide about things that we, we pray about. God, will you reveal to me what, what I, where I need to live, you know, where, where, what kind of business I need to be involved in, who am I supposed to marry? And those are all important decisions. But if you're in God's revealed will of God, then you'll be guided in those things that he's not going to give you a name. He's not going to give you the occupation. He, I mean, most of my life, I had no clue about what I was going to do when I grew up. You know, at age four. I had no idea how, how old, you know. Is that those things don't worry about. Just keep going down the path that God has revealed for you to do. And that's the wise choice. You know, it's interesting. In, in, our, in our culture, a couple hundred years ago with the Puritans, they were so committed to this that they would put, after every letter or after every correspondence or, or something they would write, they put two initials, DV. And DV was Latin for Dale Valente, God willing, God willing, God willing, God willing. And, and so the emphasis here is simply be committed to doing that which is revealed in God's word. And then after that, just simply try to make a wise choice on things that are unrevealed. There's a verse in the Bible, Psalm 37, 4, and it says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, is it, is it God's will for you to delight in him? The answer to that is 
Yes, okay. If you're delighting him, if you're loving him, if, if he has your heart, then he not only has your heart, but he has your desires. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, often when you're walking with him so closely, and we're going to see this at the end of the message, if you're doing God's revealed will, then, then you, you have so much freedom to do whatever you want. But if you're not delighting him, anything you do is not going to be right because that's God's revealed will. Does that make sense? So start with not holding on too tightly to the things you have no reason to believe in certainty will happen. Can you imagine all the things we've worried about and been concerned about that have never happened? Can you realize all those maybe dreams that we thought were going to happen that never happened? But one thing always remains true, which is God's Word. In Psalm 119, which is the longest section in God's Word of one chapter, Psalm 119, it says, you know, when you're immersed in God's Word, you'll be more wise than all the aged. All those with all kinds of experience. When you're immersed in God's Word, you'll be smarter than your teachers. And so, number one, be wise. Do not presume you know the unrevealed details of God's Word. Now, I'm going to take a sidebar just for a moment. I've had a number of people ask me, are you going to tell us how to vote? (laughs) I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but I would say right here, and we don't know who's going to win the election in November. We We can hear the polls. We can hear all the pundits. We can all that kind of stuff. But there have been great upsets here and there and surprises and all kinds of things. But the big, the big thing that we need to do is simply, as we have the freedom in the divine experiment called the United States of America, we can contribute to the process. We ought to vote. I think that's God's will for your life, to vote. If you don't know how to vote, then ask God to make the wisest vote. Just say, God, what would be the, what would be the wisest choice in any of the things that I'm, I have the privilege of voting on? And then if you say, I'm totally confused. You know what the Bible says? In the abundance of counselors, there is much victory. Find some people that you really trust and talk to them about it. And try to say, does the Bible say anything about the person or the candidate or the proposition or the things that that we can vote on? And just make a wise decision based on information you know. Weigh the pros and cons and then make a wise choice. That's God's will for our lives, to make wise choices. Secondly, Overarching principle. Number one, be wise. Don't presume you know uh, the unrevealed details of God's will. Number two, be not self-absorbed. Do not think it's all about you. Look at James 4.14. James then says, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow, which is a commentary on what he just read. He said, you don't know what's going to happen, that you're going to be able to go to such a city and make, engage in a business, make a profit. And then he says this, you're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Now, one thing that is not God's will for your life and my life is to be so over-concerned over about things that are related to me. We are to be not self-centered, but to be other-centered. And isn't that what Jesus did? I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. The problem, however, is that we are all self-centered. And, and we need to resist us thinking through the lens of life that everything involves us and that what's happening to us is more important than what is happening to anybody else. And James emphasizes, says, just, 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 just take an objective look at your life. And you look at the, the span of history. 
your life is like a match. You know, you, you, you strike it, and how long does that flame last? Just, just for a moment. It, it's like the early mist, you know, in a, in a morning. You know, it's there in the morning, and it's gone by late morning. You, you look at smoke that comes from a particular place, and once, if there is anything feeding that smoke after a while, it's gone. And when you think about life, life is not all about you. My wife uh, was born in, in June, and, and she didn't have a birthday. She had a birth week. She didn't have a birthday or birth week. She had a birth month, birthday month, all right? And, and so me being the kind, gentle person I am, I, you know, I said, hey, Alice, it's all about you. It's all about you. And that's, she's the least likely person to say it's all about you because it's not about her. But, you know, sometimes we do that. We'll, we'll focus on a person or we'll focus on ourselves more, more often. And, and we look through everything that happens in life based on what happened to me. I didn't share this in the first service, but I was, I was thinking this past week. When a couple things happened to us this week in our, in, in our family, you know, I, I have to admit, I, I wasn't thinking about anybody else but myself. It was that, you know, we, we, we had uh, early in the week, we discovered that there was a leak in one of our pipes underneath our house. So we had to call a plumber. And then two days later after he fixed it, there was another leak in another place in our house. And then we discovered that we had termites. And then as we had termites, there were people came in, they gave me all kinds of, um, of, of bids on how much it would cost to fix it. I mean, it went into the thousands of dollars. You know? Now, when that happened to me, I have to, I mean, I have to, this is just a true confession. I didn't think of any of you. Did, I hope, hope none of you didn't have a water leak this week. <laughs> I hope none of you had, didn't have termites this week. Because I was self-what? Absorbed. I, I, I was thinking life is all about me. Now, I'm not saying I ought to have a silly grin on my face when I have a water leak in my house or termites in my house. But I'm saying I, I need to resist the, the thought that, that this, this world won't be righted until my termites are gone. Because it's in my house. That this world won't be right until my leaks are fixed because it's my house. Because my life is just like a vapor, you know. The house I'm in, somebody else used to be in, right? And if the Lord doesn't return and we don't have that grand earthquake, the house I live in right now, somebody else will what? Live in it. And it's not about me. You know, the scripture is very plain about our lives. In Psalm 90 verse 10, it said basically, and this is somewhat like the actuaries we have today, is that basically if, if people have a rather healthy life, they'll live to 70 or 80. And some get in the 90s, and we have people in our, in our church that are in the triple digits. But even if you live to 100, that's, that's, just a, that's just a vapor. In Psalm 102, it says that, that we're like a shadow. You know, the shadow of... Shadow you see because of the sun and the and the whatever however that works you know you you, you see your reflection on on a cement or whatever it might be and then all of a sudden it's gone and then it says well you, your life is like grass or a flower and you know what happens to grass it 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 withers away in our particular house because of the eucalyptus trees I'm in my third lawn that I've tried to to put into our front yard you know I'm I'm trying to get the hardiest type of, and it's you know, I put all that effort in. It looked great for, for a couple of years, and then it all died. The, the eucalyptus just took all the nutrients out of the, out of the ground for it. And it's gone. It's just gone. Now, let me tell you, I don't think at all too much about those other grass because they're gone. And, and we think about our life. Our life it is in a much bigger plan of God. And why we're here, we want to take advantage of what God wants us to do, but realize 
We're not, we're not, it's not all about us. You know, they have a, uh, the Mayo Clinic has a, uh, a definition of people that become self-absorbed. And it's now considered a disorder. Have you, have you read about the, the narcissistic personality disorder? Let me, let me read to you what it is. Narcissistic, narcissistic personality disorder is a mental disorder in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance. Anybody want to raise their hand? Do you have an inflated sense of your importance? I do. A deep need for admiration. Do you like people to like you? Raise your hand. Okay. Um, and a lack of empathy for others. I'm more concerned about what's happening to me than what's happening to you. But behind this massive ultra-confidence lies a fragile self-esteem that's vulnerable to the slightest criticism. How do you respond to people when people criticize you? You know, Sometimes we respond so defensively when people criticize us because we're self-absorbed. And that's not God's will for us, right? I mean, just let it go. A narcissistic personality disorder causes problems in many areas of life, such as relationships, work, school, or financial affairs. You know, this kind of sounds like us, right? All of us must have a mental uh, personality disorder because we're all narcissistic. Now, this is the human condition. Now, I, I'm not trying to make fun of this. There, 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 can, there are people who, who, have, who are much more extreme in this. But let me just tell you, this, this, is, this describes every person on the planet. We're narcissistic. And is this too profound a thought to say this is not guilt, God's will for us? God's will for us is not be so self-absorbed. Uh, Tim Keller, if you're... If you like to read certain theologians, he, he, he describes self-absorption this way. We know how selfishness and self-absorption leads to piercing bitterness, nauseating envy, paralyzing anxiety, paranoid thoughts, and the mental denials and distortions that accompany them. Which is just a, a long way to say, this is not God's plan for your life. Right? And, and so just see yourself as a vapor. Those things that so bother us, they're going to be gone. All right? Deal with them. But don't get absorbed by them. And that's why he said, look, it, don't think you know what's going to happen in the future. So be wise about it. Don't presume on the future. It doesn't mean you can't plan. We ought to plan. But we ought to plan with prayer and say, God, if this be your will, Dio Valente, then I'm all in. If you change it, that's fine. Don't be self-absorbed thinking, okay, if things don't happen that please me, then something must be wrong with God's will or I'm not in God's will. Sometimes God's will is for you to suffer. That's in the scriptures. But when we're so self-absorbed, we can't see that. Thirdly, and I didn't know exactly how to put it, but, but I, I put it this way. Be submissive. And by that, I, I mean this, and I think this is what the Scripture is saying. Do not believe your will matters more than God's will. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. And so the response when we realize, okay, we need to be wise because we don't know the future. We don't know God's unrevealed will, so let's be committed to his revealed will. That's a wise choice. Don't be self-absorbed. Don't get caught up in thinking it's all about you. And so when you're going through a difficult time, then the whole world is wrong. No, the whole world's not wrong because you're going through something. Just trust God that we live in a fallen world and we can still pursue him no matter what happens to us. Be submissive in the idea, okay, I'm not going to struggle with determining when things aren't going right that um, I ought to change it. I don't want to change God's will. I want, to, I want to live out God's will. If the Lord wills, we shall live also and do this or that. You know, the Bible is kind of playing with it. Paul, the Apostle Paul 
was, was called by God to, to be a missionary in various parts of the world. And, and when he would go to Rome, he said, well, I, I want to I visit you. And he said, but then it says, if the Lord wills. When, when he was leaving Ephesus, Ephesus, which is in Acts chapter 18, it's in your, in your notes there, it was, he was saying, okay, I'm going to leave you in Ephesus, and I hope to return to you, but it's if the Lord wills. When he went to Corinth, the same idea, okay, I, I'm going to minister to you, and I, I want to come to you, but again, it's if the Lord wills. And here's the point I want to make here. This is much related to what we've already said, but it's the distinction saying it's, it's, not, it's not my way, it's God's way. And you've got to be committed to that or you'll never be in God's will. You know, I, uh, because of what I do, you know, I have performed many, many, uh, participated in many, many services for those who have lost loved ones, uh, memorial services or funeral services. And I've done services for infants, and I've done services for people in their triple digits and everywhere in between. And... Because of, of who I am and what I represent, it's, it's a kind of a spiritual religious setting, whether it's done in a church service or a chapel or even out uh, you know, on a mountaintop or at a beach or whatever it might be. Uh, they know they want a word from the Lord. They, they want something that God will comfort them with. And, and we'll plan appropriate music for that kind of setting as well. But I want to ask you, do you know what the number one requested song for a funeral memorial service if it's not in a religious setting is in America? Anybody know what it is? It's sung by Frank Sinatra. I'll do it my way. That is the number one requested song for people who don't have a service in a, any kind of a religious setting. And I looked it up this week because I hadn't quite uh, memorized all the words, and, and I'll spare you my singing of it. But this is, this is my way. And now the end is near. And so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. But more, much more than this, I did it my way. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the way. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. Now, there's part of life where we, we want to be self-assertive. We, we, we want to be independent people. We, we want to be strong-willed. But, but in this kind of setting, when that day is near, I, I don't want to face a God who has a will and say, I just want to let you know, more than anything else in life, I did it my way. And, and so that's the idea of uh, if, if we're going to be in God's will, we've got to be submissive. It's one, it's one thing to say, you know, God's will is lost and I can't find it. And, and, you know, it's almost like that game. Remember a game with children where you're hiding something and you say, hey, am I getting warmer? Am I getting warmer? Or you're getting colder in quarter. You know, something's hidden you're trying to find it. That's not God's will. God is not hiding his will. But we'll never discover it, even when it's plain sight, if we're not submissive to it. You know, I have uh, the male gender disease. You know, when I... When I look in the refrigerator and trying to find something, the worst place to put it is right in front of my, my face, right? I, I mean, I look right through it. Now, I don't know why that is from that perspective, but I do know why it is from a spiritual perspective. We can look right at God's will and miss it because we really don't want to do it. We'll, we'll do God's will if we agree with it at that particular moment. 
But if we don't want to do God's will, we'll look right past and say, I, 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 can't, I can't figure it out. And God says, how plain do I need to make it? So how, how, how do we be in God's will, particularly as we think about all of its complexity in the midst of its simplicity? We've got to be wise. We can't be self-absorbed. And we've got to be submissive. Thirdly, or fourthly, we, we, need to be, we need to be humble. Do not forget that pride is a serious sin. And that's what he says in James 4, 16. He says, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Sometimes we forget in terms of some of these letters, who is he talking to? He's talking to the people in the church. He said, you people in the church, you're arrogant. Now, you know, that, that would be kind of uh, insensitive on my part. I just want to let you know, I think all of you are just proud people. You're just you're arrogant. You're, you're just so full of yourself. You've got this head the size of those pumpkins, those giant pumpkins we see. You, you can't get close to God because you are just so full of that you think you are the smartest person on the planet. But that's what he, he's saying that to them. You are arrogant. And all such boasting is not just a minor thing. It's evil. Now, what was it that they were boasting about? Well, you know, there are two types of people that come to church worship. People who know God and people who don't know God, right? Well, for the people who didn't know God, even people who don't know God can be prideful. In fact, that's the heart of their sin. And really what he's saying to this is, you don't, you're not concerned about being God's will because, quite frankly, you're so arrogant, you don't even believe God exists. And if you don't believe God exists, then he doesn't have a will that, what, exists. And so if God doesn't exist, his will doesn't exist, then you don't have to worry about doing God's will because you don't think either exists. But more pointedly, he was talking to people who did believe that God exists. Most people in, who come to a church believe that God exists. But right now in their life, the ones he was writing to, and there's always a percentage of all of us at or any moment of time, any of us, we believe that God exists and we believe his will exists, but at that moment, we're so prideful filled with ourselves that we say, I want to do my will rather than your will. And we, we, we get caught up and, and, and we get caught up in our own cycle of life and we think that we know better than God. And, and you need to realize this is, this is the greatest sin when we're filled with pride. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, you have the, the details of the evil one standing before God and say, I want to be like the most high. You have in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, you have God saying, there's six things I hate. Actually, seven. And you know what's first on the list? Haughty eyes. Prideful eyes. Reflection of the, you know, the eyes are the window of the soul. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a life filled with pride, wanting to do what it wants to do. You know, in Proverbs 27, 1, it, it's an interesting passage where where the writer of Proverbs just lays out, you know, practical wisdom for us to consider how to live. And, and this is what he says. He says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. So all, all of this passage hinges together. You're arrogant when somehow you think you can plan that which you have no idea what might come next. But then finally, he, he, there's a challenge to be obedient, to do not hesitate in doing what you know is good. And this, this is probably the most practical principle in this whole text. He says this, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. 
So as we think about being in God's will, which is really doing God's will, which is being focused not on his unrevealed will, but his revealed will, doing the things he has said rather than worry about the things he has not said, the issue here is when you know what God wants you to do, do it. Just just do it. Therefore, the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now, you might be thinking, well, I know, but this is a pretty big book. I don't understand everything in this book. Well, that's the lifelong challenge and journey. But what he is saying here, whatever you do know in this book and you do understand, then be sure to do it. It's not, for most of it, it's not that we're ignorant of what God has said. It's the part that he has said that at any moment in time we don't want to do and we just ignore it, right? And God works through our conscience and through our heart and through our will and through our emotions and through other people. But when, when you're, you're, you're knowing you ought to do something and you don't do it, you can't play the ignorance card. Well, I, I didn't really know. Yes, you knew. And when you don't do what you know you need to do, or if you don't stop doing what you know you ought to stop doing, God is saying, that, that's plain. You're not in my will. That's sin. And our culture bombards us with that message. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the, the newest Toyota Corolla commercial. Anybody seen that? I didn't really... Uh, you know, some of those commercials are so creative, initially you don't know what are in the world are you selling, okay? Uh, it, it begins with this, this girl, and she's, a, she's a, I guess, an under-chef, and she had created this the great-looking, whatever it was, food, and brought it to the head chef. Head chef looked at it and just threw it on the ground or threw it in the waste. She runs off and gets into her car, which is probably a Toyota Corolla, and she, she turns on the radio, and she begins singing a song that is very, very popular today. It's, it's hugely popular. And, and the name of the song is, You Don't Own Me. And, and You Don't Own Me, here's the line. It goes over and over. You don't own me. I'm not just one of your many toys. You don't own me. Don't say I can't go. You don't own me. Don't try to change me in any way. You don't own me. Don't tie me down because I'd never stay. Don't tell me what to do, and don't tell me what what to say. Please, when I go out, don't tell me what to do. Don't say to me what you want me to do. I'll be my own person. You you see, that's at the heart of the human condition before God. It is God is saying, look it, you know what to do. You just don't want to do it. And you really feel good about when you can just kind of shake up your fist at the world or at the chef who just threw away your, your offer to him as the next best thing in food. Uh, and you say, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to cook. Don't tell me how to do anything because I'm my own person. You know, it's interesting. You know, I, I was just thinking about that this morning. You got Toyota using this song to promote you uh, promote their product, and they're, they're doing it with a song which says, I'm my own person, don't tell me what to say and tell me what to do. But what is Toyota really trying to do? They're trying to sell you a car. They're trying to tell you what to do and where to go and get it done at the Toyota dealership. And, and that's what happens when people say, I'm my own person. No, you're not. You, by the grace of God, would not be anywhere near what you are today. And now you have the opportunity to be right in the center of God's will. But to do God's will, you've you've got to be wise about it. 
You got to be so wise about it that you, you realize that you don't, you're not as smart as you think you are. You don't know what the future is going to hold, so you ought to hold on to what you do know about the future, and that's what God has said. You need to understand that the life is really not about you, and that's, that's, that's a message we, we, we fight all the time because we want to live for our benefit in God. It's not about you. There's a bigger, there's a bigger plan. You need to understand you can't do it your own way. You need to do it God's way, so you need to be submissive to him. You can't be filled with pride. You can't be arrogant. You've got to be humble. And, and then you've got to be committed to when you know the right thing to do, that, then you need not hesitate ever to do what you need to do. You know, Augustine put it this way. If you really understand God's plan, there's so much freedom in it. And he said this. He said, love God and do whatever you want. Do whatever you wish. Because once God has your affections... He'll direct you. But what we do, you know, if you, it, it, we kind of turn that around. We, we do whatever we please, and then we at least say that we love God. If you, if you turn that around, it changes everything. It begins with the love of God and his word and his revealed will, and then do whatever you say. It's not do whatever you say, and then God bless my mess. Remember that bracelet that was so important? So popular for a long period of time, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Can I, can I submit to you another bracelet we ought to manufacture? WDJS, what did Jesus say? And I would submit to you, don't just stop at the red letters in your Bible. Take this whole book and say, God, I know I can be in your will because you've, you've revealed it. And the other parts of it that's not revealed, I can just trust you with that. And isn't that what a young child or a grandchild does progressively through their life? Initially, they have no choice. They have to trust in the will of their parents. And then as they grow older and they see the options, they struggle with that. But the good parent always wants to bring that child to the place where they can make their choices on their own that are wise not selfish, submissive to the governing principles of this world that God has made, not with pride but with humility, and obedient to what they know is right. Let's pray. Father, the first choice all of us have to make is do we want to do God's will? Are we so caught up in our experiences in the past or our fears or the things we're wrestling with uh, and we just don't simply ask ourselves, what is the good thing? What is the wise thing? What is it you want me to do? And, and then be committed to doing it. Well, help, help us to go through life concerned about what you've already said about your will and then committed to doing it. And for your will for everyone here is to know you in a personal way. Not simply know about you, but in a submissive, committed way, saying, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Be the Savior of my life. Make me into the kind of person you want me to be. I receive your forgiveness, and now I want to live for you. And for us who already know you, might we, in a new and fresh way, desire this week to live in such a way that people can see Jesus in us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.